You're listening to The Contrary Beekeeper Show. This episode is brought to you by Nature's Image Farm. If you're interested in nukes, packages, queens, or supplies, visit us on the web at naturesimagefarm.com. Do you want to help support the show? Follow us, Dan and Christy, on Facebook and Instagram at Red Dog Ranch. Do you need a logo, graphic, or web design? Check out Blask Media on Facebook and Instagram. Now, on to the show. I feel like we should have one of those very like dramatically sounding intros with like chariots of fire, or, like you're going to battle to just something impressive, impressive sounding right now. I was thinking more when you said that like the uh, when you, remember when you used to go to the movies and it would say like this movies in surround sound THX or whatever it is. It's just there it is. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Dan, I thought today we could maybe talk a little bit about the war on pests. What exactly does that mean? And our buddy, the cat, is going to come in. We might hear her squawking. She made an appearance in a recently filmed video of the Learning Yard, War on Pests. Yes. And she's back for more action. And, of course, this is a podcast. With no video. So no one can actually see the cat that just walked in the door of the studio and is just cruising around like she owns the place. What's her name? I don't think she has a name yet. Mittens. Mittens? Mm-hmm. That's pretty original. It is. Mittens. Here, Mittens. Nope. Doesn't work. No. Mm-mm. I have another one, but I don't think we want to Might not be. Uh, there's young ears in the cornfield, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> well... This is, uh, we just, uh, uh, yesterday was Learning Yard, and we kind of focused and hammered down on uh, some preventative uh, pest control just to make sure we don't have a problem as we get into kind of that risky uh, time of the year, which is historically the dearth. Yeah. Why is dearth kind of that danger zone? Because there's... Things are kind of settling down a little bit. There's no nectar coming in. And for me, it's it's that period right now where we're getting ready for fall. And I got to be on my game or else I'm not going to have a, a lot of bees coming out of winter. Yeah, there's a lot of things that can happen and they happen kind of quick. It's like we, we as we go out, as we kind of progress through the year, there's different uh, points um, different um, moments throughout the season where it's like, okay, we're focused on uh, getting comb drawn, uh, getting the, getting supered, uh, getting uh, the honey in, getting it off. What are we doing about um, the rest of the colonies? And then as we get to the end of summer, um, as we transition from summer to end of summer, things happen. Yeah. Uh, depending on your weather, your heat, your rain flow, your moisture, your soil, your soil temps, you'll see a different variety or lack of variety of floral sources out there uh, to provide pollen and nectar for the bees. And what happens is those bees are just tuned in to go gather, to go work, to collect, to bring it back. That's all they do. Uh, They don't stop whether or not there's pollen or nectar coming from plants. When those plants don't have pollen and nectar available, those bees are still going out to work every day, looking, hunting, f- trying to find whatever they can. Uh, and bees are opportunists. They will go and rob out and hunt and get those resources from any other colony they can too. So we kind of are in a situation where the colonies are more vulnerable to robbing when we hit the dearth periods. Yeah. Um, and historically, it is the end of July into the 1st of August where we are usually in the thick of it. Uh, and right now, um, today's what is today's date, Dan? Today is um, August the 7th. 7th. And uh, fall is not here. We um, What's blooming right now? You're the botanist. You're the one that always knows exactly what's out there. I know, but this is a test it's to see if, if Dan remembers when he asks oh god what is this thing flowering and i say it's thus and such oh i know we still got some yellow clover or sweet clover tree foil probably uh we have white clover still on right uh 
purple stuff that we just saw a little bit ago. Ironweed. Yeah. Ironweed just started blooming today. Yep. And goldenrod just started blooming two days ago. False goldenrod. Correct. A lot of folks will see that first flush of goldenrod and start freaking out and saying, oh, my God, fall is here. What do we do? What do we do? Oh, my gosh. I'm not, you know, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Or, or I can't wait for all this uh, delicious fall flow to come in when, in fact, the first several varieties uh, typically don't produce anything or yeah. very little. Their bees don't actually work it. There's, what, 101, 102 different varieties of goldenrod, uh, and we have many of those here in Ohio. So uh, when we see the colors in the fields right now, it's an indicator that it's coming. That fall is coming. Just like when we see, um, we talked about it, I think, before, um, working with not our own calendar, but working with phenology, nature's calendar, we see early in the uh, right before spring is on its way, at the end of winter, we see a, a beautiful yellow bush start to flower. And old-timers would say three snows after the... Forsythia. Forsythia blooms, right. So yellow is like a nature's uh, warning light to say, okay, get ready. The next phase is coming. So in the wintertime, Forsythia blooms, and now we know spring is coming. We're out there getting everything ready. It's just on and on and on and on is it just the color yellow i don't know it it seems like um that is it seems to be the big indicator what are dandelions then well those are also yellow what do they tell us well it depends the first round i think tells us well it might be different in different parts of the country but that first flush of dandelion um is is kind of like the when you see for scythia the next thing that you expect to see is some dan- some just some sparse dandelions blooming until that soil gets warmed up enough, and then we kind of get another big flush, the real flush of dandelion. Um, but the bees still work it right about the time of um, when the maples are blooming, when that when the soil does warm up, um, and we get those three days of, fi- of fifty degrees Fahrenheit. Then the everything in the ground starts to come alive. So for us, is it dandelions then maples? Because I thought it was maple then dandelions. It is. It's maples and then dandelions, and it's usually the the dandelions are right on the heel of um, of the maple bloom, that first flush of dandelions. So this time of year, when we start to see yellow now in the fields again, not not the sweet clover, not the uh, the bird's foot, but when the actual goldenrod is on, for me that's a warning to say okay. Now we really have to start um, putting a lot of thought into what size are our colonies, um, what are we looking for uh, as far as the configurations to go into the fall flow, Yeah, and then what configurations are we looking for going into uh, the wintertime, because we're already preparing for winter in July. So right now, we're looking at, okay, what can we do to keep our colonies healthy, building, moving forward? To do a couple things, and for me, what comes to mind is getting them ready uh, to be able to take advantage of a fall flow if we get it. And then once we move, you past, say if we get it. I, I don't. I want to be optimistic and say when. When we, we get, get it. it, we're getting it this year. Okay, let, let's let's let, we'll go with yeah. that. When we get when we get the goldenrod, I'm looking forward to recording an episode, Dan. That is literally the best year we've ever had. All yeah. the way around. And if, if we get a winter, if we get a fall flow of goldenrod that's actually just juicy and prolific, mm-hmm. we might write this down as, this might go down in history as the best year in beekeeping that we may ever see in a very long time. Yeah. Um, knowing that, there's a few things that, man, if we can just stay on track and keep those colonies moving forward... Um, and and prevent a couple things from happening between now and like October November, then we're setting our colonies up to not only gather, collect, um, and have an abundance of of a fall harvest, but they're actually going to be built out and healthy enough to the configurations that we're looking for to go into the winter time. Why do I got to worry about winter time now? It's quite a ways away. Well, if we get too greedy. This time of year, we're. I think we've all been guilty of getting a little greedy on how hard we push those bees, how and and to how late in the year we do that. And if we push those bees too hard, too late in the year, 
making splits and running them too thin, sometimes they're a little more vulnerable to a few pesky little critters uh, out there that wreaks havoc not only on those colonies, but we're actually setting some other colonies backward by doing it. So it's it's a it's a gamble. Is it the Eastern European grassland shrew? Well, I know they're uh, invasive and they've now taken over our area. That is true. Um, I have not uh, had the um, the displeasure of really sitting on the couch um, and really spending time with that small mammal biology nightmare um, sessions like the shoe grew himself, Fred Dunn, but there are a lot of things that can pop up that are even more frightening than the North American short-tailed shrew. Uh, hive beetles are one of these things that I think we could have an entire show on myth-busting all these things that a lot of folks will read, see, and hear, and then recirculate this information See, you might know more about this than me because I really don't know a lot of what other people do with hive beetles. Well, a lot of information out there will suggest that all you need to prevent hive beetles is a strong colony in the sun. And I've actually seen quite the opposite in several circumstances. I will 100% agree that one of the riskiest colonies this time of year is a one or a two frame split with a queen cell is almost the risk factor is exponential exponentially higher the later in the year we get yeah because there are there are less bees to protect the resources that they do have and when we get start getting into that dearth or we start getting into several days of rain or rain events that are washing out the pollen and the and the potential nectar, and even if there's small dearth events like a roller coaster dearth throughout, those smaller colonies are more vulnerable to getting robbed out and getting attacked by not only honeybees but uh, wasps and hornets, and the yeah. list goes on and on. When that happens, and there is protein, when there's pollens and things that are inside of the colony that are unprotected, it's a perfect opportunity for hive beetles to come in, start utilizing the protein, laying eggs, and can completely slime out a very weak split very, very quick. Yeah. But what a lot of folks, hopefully a lot of folks haven't seen it, but there are a lot of us that have, that have seen strong doubles and triples get completely slimed out by beetles this time of year. Uh, Even colonies that are in the full sun. The real issue with that, though, is I know from firsthand experience you have one hive that gets slimed out. You have them now everywhere in your yard. Everywhere. You've just invited them all to come. You've rang the dinner bell, and now we've got mites that are... are, are we, we have hive beetles that are exploding um, and are just looking for every opportunity to eat. Yeah. Some of these large colonies um, can have so much protein packed away. Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, especially this time of year. To where years that are so prolific can actually be a little dangerous because you have so much extra pollen inside of a colony that the that those bees might not be able to protect even if they wanted to. It's a especially if it's higher up in that colony. Yeah. As those bees move up and down through a single, double, or triple size scenario, yes, they grow, but bees also start to brood down in the fall. As they do start brooding down, if there are areas in that colony that has uh, you know, extra resources that are being stored away, they are 100% vulnerable um, and can get slimed out by hive beetles. We've seen it here in Ohio. Yeah. I know a lot of folks, uh, Bruce Jenny down in Alabama, he's seen it too. Um, folks across the country have seen that. So what we're trying to say is we're not trying to be argumentative in the fact that this is the standard line that's uh, being put out there. We need to be, be observant. And, and actually look and see what's going on inside of our colonies, make some adjustments when we see it, and preventatively put some measures in place that might protect those assets inside of the colony. Yeah. Now, in the learning yard this past Saturday, we it was kind of hands-on, and we were showing folks exactly how to do those things that we're talking about. 
have you heard about the the uh the peppermint thing? Yes, I have. It's kind of impossible not to have heard about the peppermint At thing this point, yeah. by now. And whether or not it works, some folks um absolutely swear by it. Um I have not had the opportunity or the necessity to kind of use it. Um but I did want to talk to our folks about it and say, "Hey, here's an option. There's some folks that I trust their opinion um and uh they're finding some success with it." Uh so we 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 did put some peppermints out um in the learning yard here in some of the colonies just to see um, what that will do right now. We're not seeing a lot of hive beetles. Very, no. very few. Um, the only colonies that we're seeing hive beetles in were very, very small, um, you know, queen mating uh, boxes um, that a queen never came back or something happened and the colony never had enough brood to kind of take on. And you'd, you'd end up with a handful or two of bees with three frames that has some pollen and some nectar and, you know, those ones get slimed out. Yeah. Uh, luckily so far, we're not seeing any big colonies get slimed out because that really big boom in pollen was kind of early on in the year. And now they're starting to kind of eat their way out of the abundance. And they're actually finding some kind of a balance uh, inside of the the colonies. What does it look like for you, Dan, when you have seen hive beetles in your yards? What kind of, what is that kind of uh, those dangerous configurations or those dangerous situations where you see hive beetles it's uh it's always been when i let a laying worker go and didn't notice uh that's the big one i had a cow tip over one of my hives and i was out of town for that week and i got back and it was just an absolute disaster so i've spent six days upside down righted it up just figured hey they've been discombobulated for a week i'll let them go another week before i dig back through them that was a mistake, a very, very big mistake, and that actually caused a lot of issues for about a year in that yard. Uh, it really just created a breeding ground for uh, hive beetles, and it, oh gosh, it went probably to another 12 or 15 hives. So I no longer was just fighting one hive, I was fighting a whole yard of beetles. So it's one of those you really got to stay on top of. What are you doing to try to stay on top of the beetles? Uh, so we use beetle butter, and that did a good bit. So, and then I also moved the hive stands out a little bit more. They're partially shaded, so I just pulled them into full sun just to put everything I can into my corner. So, and most of them are already pretty strong hives to begin with. It was just... I realized in the early spring that I overwintered hive beetles, it looked like. Yeah. I don't know if you can or not. Okay. But yeah. First thing in spring, I noticed uh, coming out, I had almost every hive had multiple hive beetles. So, so far, it sounds like you're looking pretty good. Not, hive beetles aren't really a big threat as of right now. No. We got kind of aggressive this spring with it. Yeah. We, we saw the same. Um we did have hive beetles over winter and uh when we we've started to do a couple different things uh beetle butter we've used now for oh this is probably the fourth year yeah maybe at least the third year and uh, we've talked about it before but uh, what is beetle butter well beetle butter is a um a mixture that uh, we kind of learn um from a mentor and it's if you want to see exactly how we mix that up, um, check in to an upcoming learning yard video, um, the War on Pest, where we're actually going to get in and actually and show exactly these components, what it looks like, and how we do it. In an essence, we're mixing up Crisco, diatomaceous earth, and eucalyptus, and we're actually kind of baiting the bottom of our colonies with this mixture, giving the opportunity for hive beetles to come into the carbohydrates, uh, which is the Crisco. When they ingest the Crisco, they're also now ingesting the diatomaceous earth and in doing so are kind of tearing themselves up from the inside. Kind of like getting Taco Bell. Exactly like <laughs> getting Taco Bell. Can you remember being a kid, you take those things and I would, I don't even know if we should, what is the statute of limitations for like, Maybe committing crimes. I think it depends on what it is. Okay, like 
like <laughs> I can't remember if we actually did this or if we tried to do it, but I can remember taking those um what was it? Fire fire sauce. Yeah. Right? And you would twist them up. Oh, I think we were talking about maybe throwing them at cars as they drove by. Because when you twist them up, they're like these big, fat, tight pockets of sauce. Yeah. I can remember we just would twist them up as tight as they would go and then just bomb each other with them. And then they would they would kind of, you know, like, like water balloons. Sounds like an explosive time. <laughs> and then we would have what those like eating contests where how many of those can you actually eat? And then you would kind of do the same thing, twist them to get them all fat and then just kind of mow down and just start sucking the sauce and... See, I was never a Taco Bell person. No? I'm still not, no. Uh, I really discovered Taco Bell more in like my uh, time that I lived on campus because we had one in walking distance on High Street. Oh, boy. And I I can count on one hand that I visited Taco Bell uh, still to this day in my adult life, probably outside of the hours. I think we'd always be there about 10 o'clock to about 3 in the morning. Yeah. So on the weekend, and you can probably put together what we were doing. So that that was my limitations to Taco Bell, like getting a Taco Bell shrimp taco. What sounds okay? Top top three Taco Bell offerings. Shoot, go. Uh, number one, the quesadillas. Number two, uh, gordito crunch. Number three, and then they did the Doritos crunch, I believe. I I just. I don't know what to say to that. None of my, nothing in my top threes were in your top threes. What was yours? It's, it's like I thought I knew you, Dan. What was yours? Okay, number one, Cholito. Okay. Number two, Maximelt. Okay. Number three, Mexican pizza. All right. I've just dated myself because they don't think they offer either, none of those things anymore. No, they the last one was Mexican pizza, and they stopped selling that in '97. I mean, why? It's just not now. I'm definitely not going back to Taco Bell ever again. No, ours was McDonald's because we we had a couple of them close by, and that's where we would get into trouble. Uh, we we one night uh, barred my buddy's mother's minivan and went to McDonald's, and my buddy was uh, discussing how he's an exceptional driver. So we backed all the way through the McDonald's drive-through and ordered through the passenger window. No, because the minivans have the passenger side sliding doors. Oh yeah, because it's always curbside. We open the sliding door to pay for our food, order, and then receive it. Wow, I can I can just see little DJ there now. Just- uh, that was McDonald's there on uh, uh, three fifteen North. Oh, okay, yep. right, right there in Worthington. Yep. Yep. Delinquents. Oh, yes. Just a terrible kid. So fire sauce, hot sauce. They had some green sauce. I feel like the show is really green getting sauce? saucy. Yeah, there, I think there's a green sauce there for one time. Like a... Like, oh, not Verde. Salsa Verde, it? I think is what it's Is that called. what it is? Mm-hmm. I can't tell you the last time I've had... I'm hungry now. Now that, now, now that I'm an adult and I have money, Chipotle sounds really good right now. Remember being a kid and you're thinking like... That 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 thing was actually going to happen, where all you had to do was like type in what you wanted in this mega computer, and then you you would hear like lasers and like these things. You would open up this door, and it would just show up right there. It would like teleport to you. Yeah, it never happened. Are you kidding me? It's called Grubhub. What? You get that little pocket device you have that you play with when you're on the bath in the bathroom. And then there's a little little uh, program inside the little device there, and you can order your food, and then it shows up to your door. Now, do you wash your hands before or after you use your device on the toilet? Depends on what I'm doing. And then do you use that same device to check your Facebook feed while you're eating your cheesy gordita crunch? Normally, it's just playing Netflix Okay. and propped up somewhere, and I have my AirPods going. Right. Or have the TV a blasting. So I guess the war on pests could mean a lot of different things uh, for a lot of different people. Yeah. How do we transition <laughs> out of Yokiro Taco Bell? 
Back to hive beetles. Well, just like Taco Bell goes scorched earth on your intestines, that's what I did with my hive beetles this spring. And Dan, I think you <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> well, what we did to kind of, um, rather than just say, hey, here's some beetle butter, uh, and let's just make this concoction and put it everywhere and tell people about it. We've trialed it now uh, for several years. Uh, and what we've done is we're actually making like a little, it's kind of like a cake frosting. And we'll put that material on our bottom board, a real thin film, um, in a couple places in the center, in the corners. And for us, what it's doing, uh, we in, in this particular trial, we put it in about 100 um, splits. It was in like 100 nukes. So those are a little more sensitive if they crash or um, what happens. Everything was looking great. And then I got to about the last two um, in that yard, and I noticed what in the world's going on. And there was hive beetles kind of really showing up and getting nasty. And sure enough, looking on those bottom boards, there was no beetle butter at all. And so however that happened, two of those bottom boards never got treated um, with that beetle butter. And those were the ones that we started having um, issues with for hive beetles. So we thought, okay, well, let's keep trying that. Um, and we kept we, we've, we keep having success with it. A couple other things that we've done to help with hive beetles is context is key and we can't keep doing it in a lot of areas but it's it's pretty inexpensive um and it has multi um it, it, it's helpful in more than just one way but in a several of the the queen yards uh, and where we're raising nukes on stands um putting down some uh three or six foot landscape fabric underneath the hive stands has actually been really awesome because i think it's it's keeping does color matter I'm not sure. I think the the black does help because I think it keeps the soil a little bit hotter. It keeps that surface of the of that black plastic hot. Um, it keeps the weeds down um, underneath the hive stands, which is also really nice. Um, combination of using that to keep the weeds down, keeping the uh, the grass mowed nice and tight in those areas, I think also helps out tremendously. Another thing that we've done, uh, which I think is also helpful, is being preventative with the beetle butter and getting that on the bottom boards. The landscape fabric underneath of things that do have hive stands. Of course, we've got pallets and things out where we don't really have, can't do that um, or not can't do it effectively. Another thing that we've done is uh, in colonies that are more vulnerable um, to hive beetles, we I've had pretty good luck using... Uh, Dollar General brand or even the Amazon cheap um, off-brand uh, unscented um, dusting pads. So this is weird because I've tried a couple out because for a long time my Dollar General didn't have unscented. Right. So I went and bought name brand and it did not go well. No, because you know what the the Swiffer ones they kept changing the thickness of them. Yep. And they actually had more of like this quilted. Um, texture, and then some of them had these like cut ribbony type textures, yeah. and they weren't catching the hive beetles like the the cheaper ones did. Yeah. So those Dollar General brand, um, the Dollar General brand, they used to be in a green little yellow greenish box, and they were called unscented dry refill pads. Yeah. Um, those through the whole Corona apocalypse thing were scarce. Um, I did find some on Amazon that also seemed to work pretty good. And uh, we will take those and kind of cut those into little, probably, I don't know, three by five note card size squares. Put those kind of in the corner of the colonies. Um, what we've also done is kind of rolled those up like a like a cigarette, like a cigar. Yeah. And uh, put those in some areas too. A lot of folks have good luck rolling them up like that because it creates all the little riffles with inside of there. And it kind, mm-hmm. of, kind of can trap them too. Sometimes you'll see that the bees will just drag those things right out, and you'll see them on the ground out in front. Um, but uh, if you look, sometimes you'll find high beetles trapped in there. Yeah. I've never actually had it really hurt the bees at all. I've never had a queen caught in there. I've had um, a handful of honeybees maybe overall yeah. caught in some of those. Um, and, you know, it's does it happen? Can you get honeybees caught in those? Yes. But for every one honeybee, I've probably caught 20 Hive beetles. Or a hundred hive beetles. Yeah. 
Um, and so for me, um, the the bigger picture, it's I, worth it. It's, I think it's worth yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I haven't tried the Amazon one yet, but definitely I I uh, I was one of those people that panic bought a whole bunch of uh, Dollar General Swiffer sheets as soon as they came back. Right. Yep. And that that works out pretty good. You know, as far as using peppermints, you know, that's not something that I've had the need to really uh, do a whole lot of yet. Um, I do have a whole big bag, but, um, you know, context is key. You know, if we had 20 hives maybe or so, probably not a big deal to go out there and unwrap peppermint candies and put four on the top of each box and stack them up and come back every week and do it. Yeah. But once you get past you know, 20, 50, a hundred, 200 colonies. That's a chore. Yeah. That that's not going to, it's just not going to happen. Um, you know, maybe peppermint oils spraying some kind of a, I don't know, maybe that would, that would work for right now. It seems like what we're doing is working. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not really looking to, um, reinvent the wheel here so far. There's a lot of other things out there that people can do. Some, some folks um, have luck. Some say have no luck with some kind of beetle entry things. A lot of folks have their own opinion on that. Um, beneficial nematodes. What do you think about that in the soil for hive beetles? What? Have you heard about the beneficial nematodes? I have not. Are we like getting lizards to chase them down? Well, it's an interesting concept, but I don't really know how it materializes. I guess the idea is you introduce beneficial nematodes to your soil biology, um, and those microscopic critters um, attack and chew larvae as they're deposited, or eggs, in the soil. The only trouble that I kind of see with that is, have you ever seen what a hive beetle does if you open up the lid and kind of disturb them? Run away. And? Fly. They fly. Those rascals can fly around, they can land, um, when they're in that larger stage, I don't know that that really prevents a whole lot. Um, but if they somehow burrow into the ground, you know, maybe that that works. Uh, I don't know. It seems like you'd have to use an awful lot of that in a very large, broad application and a hundred feet in each direction of your Those colonies. Are ugly things. Yeah. So I, I, does it work? I don't, maybe I'm not banking on that. Um, some folks will use diatomaceous earth. It's a roundworm. It's like a little roundworm. Yeah, no, the, no, the, the, the nematodes. Nematode or yeah. roundworm. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of them. Also known as eelworms. Yep. You know, their nematodes exist um, in our soil microbiology as is, but I think the idea is introducing ones that are more um, targeting, targeting larvae larva and things like that. So maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't. If, it, if that's something that you're interested in, um, you know, kind of look it up. To me, I need something that's going to be um, that I can replicate and I can do on a large scale. That's affordable, that I could actually see results. Um, and I'm not sure that that necessarily fits the bill. Diatomaceous earth is another one that I'm not sure um, fits the bill here either. You know, when it rains and that softens up or it starts to get dissolved, or the concentration is lowered. You know, I'm not sure. Does DE actually dissolve? I th- it yeah. Well, when it get when it gets wet, it gets mushy. Okay. So I think with enough prolonged enough rain and moisture, Exposure. I think yeah, I think it, it, it can break down enough or soften up the edges to where yeah. it's less um, less beneficial. But um, and again, I'm not saying these things don't work. And so if you do these things, and um, I don't want you to be you know getting uh, fit to be tied because they didn't work for me or. I might have a different thought process on it. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do a lot of different things, but I'm looking for something that is uh, that I can definitely uh, have some proven results that I can replicate, that for I can see year after year. Yeah. Because I just don't have the time or the energy um, or the money to waste on inputs or the time to do all these things just to find out. Um, so you know, that being said, there's, there's, you know, like we always say, there's, there's, there's more than one way to pluck the chicken. It's just, it, it, what it matters is, is knowing how you're going to eat it dictates how you're actually going to pluck that chicken. And um, so there's a lot of options. Another uh, pest, there's a couple other pests that we really are kind of waging war on this year, um, or at least uh, tr- being mindful um, and um, 
making sure that they're not a problem is uh, is mites. Where, how are your bees looking so far this year with uh, mite loads, Dan? Actually, pretty good. Yeah, it's been really chill. Uh, which has me worried because if it's been great all year, it has to go bad at some point. Something has to happen. So I'm just waiting to get this uh, last of the summer honey off, and then I'm going to definitely treat and then just preventively and then uh, go through and start gearing up for goldenrod. Do you think you'll treat preventively, preventively even if you have, if you're washing zero and ones? Yeah. In your cups? Yep. Explain that that thought process. Uh, because the I know a guy that gets on a soapbox every once in a while about rubbing alcohol versus Don dish soap, <laughs> and it's it's the same philosophy that at first we thought sugar rolls were the best thing ever, then we thought rubbing alcohol was the best thing ever. Now Don dish soap is proving even better, but we are getting the snapshot that we can see with the best available resources. So it's in my mind, we're seeing what we want to see because we still need to take that next step. Well, who knows what's going to be the best way to get mites to dislodge off bees. So I, I still keep a threshold, but it's that threshold really determines how aggressively I go after it. That's the big kicker. So let's say um, right now in August, uh, your your summer honey's off. You're looking at supers that you're just having them backfill, um, or maybe just clean up. And you get in there with Dawn dish soap and you wash zeros. Now what? I uh, probably just do a couple rounds of OAV and okay, and call it a day. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm with you on that because um, I think the idea of washing. Right. It's ignorance believing that if you're washing zeros, there's no mites. Oh, there's definitely mites. But then if I'm if I keep that philosophy that oh I'm not just because I'm not seeing them doesn't mean they're not there. Well, now they're getting to go into a very prolonged stage to where I can't get in there to wash them. Right. And this is the most important time to make our winter bees and have them virus free, so they can have a successful winter. So that's why it's still a preventative use. But now if I broke my threshold, it'd be a lot more than just blasting them with OAV a couple times. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. You know, using something like osalic acid, in my opinion, has very little ill effect, if any, when done correctly on the right size colonies. I mean, I've never seen that go south when a two or four gram dose of OAV uh, is being administered to a solid 10 frame single or a two gram dose on a five frame single. I'm mm-hmm. not seeing ill effects. Now you take a two or a four gram dose on a one, on one frame of bees. That's a different story. You know, there I've, I've seen them. Do you have a one frame nuke? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like if you're out making splits or out, um, and and uh, queen mating boxes, and there's only really about one frame of bees in that box. Oh, okay. You, and you're interrupting that brood cycle, and you try to yeah. go through and, and clean or get ahead of any potential problem. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes anything that you throw out a colony that small can cause them to abscond, then them not be happy. That See, I don't run things happy. that small, so it's yeah, kind you of wouldn't. a new, right. new wheel for me. You wouldn't need to do that. You know, being that you're kind of producing honey and we're producing queens and nukes, we've got two separate contexts, which makes this conversation even more interesting on kind of how we go about um, moving forward, winding down in the summertime and then getting ready for this fall flow. You know, we may do something similar. We may do uh, some things different, but both of our goals are is to get everything, no matter what our configurations are, get those into a really good uh, position as far as health wise and Mm -hmm. configuration, getting those ready for wintertime and I think in the next episode, maybe we'll talk about what does that actually look like winding down from fall, getting ready for that, that last little push, uh, getting them ready for wintertime. Um, all that is built on what we're doing right now. Yeah. There's a few things that we really need to do right right now to set up these colonies for success moving forward and keeping hive beetles away, keeping mites down. 
keeping uh, colonies healthy and building and moving forward is absolutely crucial because those bees that we're starting to make are the are the right now are those bees that will be making the winter bees that will see the rest of the winter time. And so it's important to make sure that everything is clean and healthy and free of viral loads now so they can. So I'm with you, you know. We, we try to do the best that we can with the information that's in front of us. And right now it looks like Don is, is, is uh, the most solid uh, path moving forward to better understand what the mite loads are in the colonies. Um, but we would be ignorant to assume there are no mites in the colonies. Yeah. This conversation could really start to sidetrack quickly um, for folks who are adamantly opposed to treating or are adamantly opposed to not treating because a lot of folks will say, well, if you don't have any mites, then there's probably not viral loads. Well, then why would you be treating? Why would you, why would you put anything in the colony if it doesn't need it? And I, I think there is some validity to that approach. On the other hand, like you mentioned, you made a good point. You know, we're doing the best we can with what we know, but we know that there's still going to be some mites in the colony but let me ask you this, Dan. Let's say you wash zero with Don, and then you hit him with OAV. You're definitely going to kill whatever phreatic mites are there. Yeah. Then let's say you do a follow-up wash to see how successful it was. You could potentially find you now have more mites now than when before you started. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because OAV is not getting below those cappings. Right. Then it's time to take a little bit more aggressive approach. Do you think OAV is a is a solid way to treat certain times of year and then is a solid approach for maybe maintenance cleanups throughout? OAV is an integral part of our overall pest management program. Uh, it's not the sole answer in our eyes, but it is a key answer for us. Yeah, it's a key component of a kind of a multifaceted approach. Yeah. And without these uh, certain approaches together, we don't have that complete package and things start to kind of fall apart. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. We, we've seen that firsthand. I think we showed that um, in that Might Wash video um, because we did get in there and actually see what was going on. The colonies that we treated like it was serious, they overwintered. Yeah, the ones that we weren't quite sure, thinking maybe our thresholds were just two, you know, by the time that we treated and got all that done, um, it was now so late in the year there was not much course to do anything. Those colonies crashed, mm-hmm. uh, and I already got apogards sitting around at home. So what's I do too. what's the worst case if I put a cart of apogard on a hive that's air quote washing a zero? Right. Well, there's there's other benefits too by using apogard having thymol in a colony. There are there are other uh, I think benefits um, that are that are that are not just mite related. But here's a newsflash: Did you know that hive beetles can also transmit viruses? Yes. So how many hive beetles does it take to transmit virus in a colony? Fourteen. <laughs> I'm impressed that you just threw that number out so quick. <laughs> you know we don't know. Yeah, exactly. And are they are they are they passing this through? Like. Uh, uh, through saliva, saliva, or, through yeah. sharing the same food source, this can get really squirrely yeah. quick. Um, and so, are they just dirty critters walking across the frames? Are they pooping yeah. in there? Are they yeah, exactly. Are they French kissing the bees when they get fed. We don't know. Yeah, we want to pretend that we know, but the fact of the matter is, it, it's not just a war on mites. It's a war on hive beetles. It's a war on, on viral pests. loads. It's a war on pests. Yeah, and things that we can do throughout the year, keeping um, them them healthy. Making sure they have everything that they need inside of the of the colony. Yep. You know, we've done some things this year using probiotics with the colonies to help make sure, just to see if they're if it does help with their gut biomes. Yep. See, are they building healthier? Are they building faster? So far, we've had the best year we've ever had, and I want to keep it that way. So for me, I'm with you. Yes, I am going to wash my colonies and see where they're at. The earlier in the year that I wash. And I'm finding mites. My treatment plan looks different. Very much so. And it's 
as someone once told me, is you can't have absolutes in beekeeping. Right. So your your uh, IPM has to be able to kind of roll with the punches as well. You can't say I'm treating this on this date at this time. Be, well, are you in the middle of a flow? I'm not going to spray a silk acid in a hive that has supers on it. So it's for me, it's really my, my pest management is timed around flows. Late spring, um, you know, either as they're building up supers and not storing or um, a- after the spring and early um, summer flow and we pull, you know, there's a, there's a, little, there's a window there to, to do a mm-hmm. little bit of something if we need to. And then right now, being in August, you know, our summer, pretty much our, our spring is definitely off. The, the early um, summer honey is, is pretty much off. Everything that's on there now, I think we're uh, looking at and evaluating, do we have, is there anything that's going to be sealed in time? Because right now we only have about, being that we have the early goldenrod out, we mm-hmm. only have three, four weeks before we start to see the flow come in from goldenrod yep. and asters and some of the... Those um, those that, that fall forage, we don't want to be in a treating right in the middle of a treating regiment yep. um, and have all that flow coming in. So right now in August, right as we the next several weeks is kind of the ideal time if we are if we have high mite loads and we need to use something a little bit heavier mm-hmm. um, and heavy for us is thymol and that's not even really considered that heavy. Yeah, um, but putting Apigar, which is thymol, in. Um, this is the perfect time, in my opinion, to go ahead and do that, especially with the temperatures. Um, for us, you, that dose goes on for 10 days, mm-hmm. and then that second follow-up dose for another 10 days, that's 20 days from right now. That puts us right in the time frame um, where we have a little bit of time before that goldenrod flow starts to come in, and so we can get ahead and get those bees treated. And then we've got the, the goldenrod flow coming in. Now everyone is there is uh, a lot of forage being put away, they're healthy. Now we now we're looking at the, the the best possible picture in a colony to say, okay, now what? Now it's time to get you ready for winter. Mm-hmm. Do I split you down? Do you need a little bit of help? Do you have too much on? Do I, what do I take off? Do you need fed? Taking the uh, potential X factor of what do your viral loads look like when you get that out of the equation early on. Now we can really just focus in on food. Uh, storage, size, and configuration, and that's yeah. a big deal. Very much so. It's nice to kind of have uh, one less monkey on your back. Right, because Lord knows there's plenty of them all year long. Yep. Uh, and so that's that's pretty much, you know, what, which we, we've had fantastic success with using osalic acid at the right time of year. We've also had good luck using it for a little maintenance um, even if it only keeps numbers static until yeah. it's an appropriate time to put another treatment on, I think yep. there's a lot of benefit for using osalic there too. Um, so I think in the next episode, we're going to be um, at the time of year where we're really starting to get a little closer to the, the that fall flow on, on starting to collect goldenrod. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have uh, a little bit more guidance on what our washes are showing, what treatments we have or haven't done so far. Um, because it's getting to be that time where it is time to collect our fall flow, get the bees, uh, into a, uh, good situation for yeah. the rest of fall and then get those rascals into their winter configurations. Yep. Come be here real soon. Yep. It's, it's going to be here uh, before you know it, Dan, before we, uh, cut out, uh, what's new with red dog ranch. It's, it's been a year. Uh, we pulled a bunch of honey supers off for spring and our summer flow is probably going to be the same size as our spring flow as it's looking right now. And so I'm hoping those will come off in a week or two so I can start throwing on, uh, Apple guard. And then from there it's fall flow and kind of just get ready for winter and gear up. But other than that, it's just bottling and selling honey. And occasionally showing up here. Sounds like you've had a pretty sweet year, Dan. It's been pretty sweet. I like that. See what I did there? Yeah, I did. <laughs> well, we're uh, we're here in the shop the day after the learning yard. Uh, Christy's over there. She's been um, busy wax dipping boxes all day. We have the other crew 
um, over at the homestead working on getting a new uh, little studio situation set up for now. A uh, little little uh, phased um, opportunity as we kind of grow and build things out. So um, there's been there's been a lot going on. I want to thank um, all of our B folks uh, for coming out supporting the the learning yard. It's been a lot of fun having them here, learning from them, hearing their stories, seeing how their years have unfolded so far. Um, and also, uh, it's always great uh, when our highest for heroes newbies are out with us, oh, uh, yeah. kind of involved in that whole entire. Yep thing that's that's um, always a lot of fun and i, I really um, appreciate just the different approaches everyone is taking with their beekeeping and i think that's what makes a lot of these things so fun it's it's diverse it's different we um, are all accepting of that and i think we can all learn and kind of better understand what it is about these bugs in a box um, the more opportunities we get to kind of uh, be in that situation of fellowship and community so um, that's pretty cool we we just got back from a southern road trip where we went down and saw a bunch of awesome beekeepers down in Tennessee, um, down in Alabama. We traveled all over the place, down through Georgia and Florida, came back to the Carolinas, had just a, a really great time. Um, and so we have a video that we're working on here soon, too, um, where we kind of get into the heart and the mind of a lot of different beekeepers. Um, and I'm really looking forward to kind of sharing that, too. You know, we talk a lot about... Um, you know, being the lighthouse, being the change that we want to see. And what's really fun is there's a lot of folks who are actually, you know, stepping up and actually doing something. You know, yeah. they're, they're not just online with um, those samurai finger courage typing away. Like they're actually taking time away from their families, their business, from their day to day to meet with each other, to build mm-hmm. each other up, to actually build that face to face community. That's awesome. And that's that's what it's about. Um, and so it was a lot of fun. Uh, going down and seeing everybody. So uh, be on the lookout for um, a really fun video coming out here soon. I know Bruce, Jenny, uh, Mike, Barry, and uh, Lisa from Grammy's um, Mid- Grammy Midwife Homestead. She, um, all three of those have uh, have put out some recent videos, and we had a lot of fun down there cracking lids with Mike Barry and Bruce Jenny, uh, and just meeting with all these folks. A lot of uh, just just a lot of fun. Um, so if you haven't already checked out those videos, you can go to uh, Mike Berry's YouTube channel, Bruce Jenny's YouTube channel, and uh, Grammy, Grammy Midwife Homestead channel, and just kind of see how all these cross collabs come together. Um, it's just a lot it's of fun. It's unique because you get to see it from everyone's different, unique perspective. Yeah. There was it was awesome. Uh, Dirt Rooster came down. He traveled four four miles or four miles. Four miles. Oh yeah. <laughs> he he traveled uh, four hours just to come break bread with us. Um, and sit down, and so I, I've got some uh, some video with him too. It's just you know, it's a lot of fun when you know that folks are making a solid effort to be with other beekeepers. That's yeah. just it's hard to explain. But um, I don't know if I'd drive four hours to have supper with you. I wouldn't drive four hours to have supper with me either. Yeah. Well, Bruce bought dinner, so oh, I that's mean, different. Yeah, that's different. If Bruce is buying dinner, I'd probably drive <laughs> a good bit. Depends on where we go too. Yeah. Barbecue. Actually, we had a, a, a nice Mexican joint. I might drive. Yeah. Yep. It was a good that place. That my adult tastes have outgrown Taco Bell. I might drive. Full circle, Dan. Yep. Full circle. Well, thanks again for listening uh, on the next episode, Dan. Let's talk about uh, what it looks like when we get into that fall flow and what we're doing about it, getting ready for winter. All right. But thanks again for listening. As always, uh, be the lighthouse. Be contrary. And be the change you want to see in this world. We'll see you next time, guys. Recorded in front of a live studio audience. There you go. That's cool. (laughs) Hey, that'll work. How about that?